In this episode, we get to speak with speaker, teacher, senior staff designer, and developer advocate at Mozilla, Jen Simmons. And we talk about creativity and graphic design on the web. I'm Sarah Veseloff. And I'm Frederick Philip Von Weiss, and thank you for consuming the Thunder Nerds, a conversation with the people behind the technology that love what they do and do tech good. Thanks everybody for joining us. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Um, we want to talk about our really special sponsor that we have all year, which is Pantheon.io. Pantheon, thank you so much for uh, providing us sponsorship for 2019. If you don't know Pantheon, they provide a platform for WordPress, for Drupal 7, Drupal 8, probably Drupal 9 in a few months and so forth. They give you a dev, test, and live environment so you could push your stuff up, check it out, see how it works before you publish it, make sure everything's great, and then you could you know, move it along the tree to live. They have phenomenal support. Uh, I've been using them for years, and I really love these guys. They've helped me out a dozen times. Uh, so thank you, Pantheon, for just being there, and thanks for your support this year. And also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. Uh, you can go to thundernerds.io, and there's a big button there that allows you to subscribe. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead. We have a, an amazing guest today. We have speaker, teacher, senior staff designer, and developer advocate at Modzilla, Jen Simmons. Welcome to the show, Jen. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for talking with us again. Last time we spoke was, um, when was uh, an event apart? That was uh, <laughs> eight months ago, eight months ago? I don't remember. Time. I mean, it was, I, there's, there's six a year, seven a year, so it's, it's uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember which one. I remember the room we were in together, but I don't remember yeah. which that was. Oh, it was in oh, Orlando, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Near Mickey Mouse. Yeah, no, near yeah. Mickey Mouse. Did you get to go uh, say hi to the mouse? No. Be <laughs> fan. Good. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> no, it's funny traveling to so many conferences. I would have thought that I would get a chance to see a lot of great places, but the truth is that um, I, I don't. You know, I see I see the inside of the hotel. Hotel. <laughs> I see some cabs. Uh, some airports. Um, oh, you know, speaking of which, I remember you told me a really funny story now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, you told me the story. I think you said you had to switch rooms because you were, uh, you were in a room that was above a restaurant, like a Disney restaurant that was really loud. Is that right? Yeah, I probably was hoping I could switch rooms. I've, I've learned if you stay in that hotel, uh, especially to, it's such a funny thing because like we're working and yet everybody else is like having a fun family vacation and those things don't quite necessarily go together. Um, from the point of view, like when, like if I'm getting ready to go on stage or whatever, I'm just sort of in this like work zone <laughs> that then it's like, why are you in a bathing suit? Like what, what's happening? Why are you singing the Mickey Mouse song for the 14th time this morning? <laughs> this is a professional environment. Come on. <laughs> like I'm wearing a suit jacket. Like, oh, I'm just, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm the weird one. Right. I'm the one out of place. Sorry. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, it was so cool to see you there. And, you know, actually, we have, uh, or at least Sarah, actually, uh, now I think about it, has a funny story where she um, pseudo-met you. Do, do, do you mind talking about that? Uh, kind of. So I also travel a lot uh, to speak, and I can completely uh, commiserate with your experience. Um, people are like, oh, it must be so great. And it's like, well, it's a lot of hotels and a lot of uh, lifts and planes and me stressing out about the next thing that I need to get done before I take off some, for somewhere else. Um, and on one of these recent trips, I went out to speak at the Women Who Code conference in uh, San Francisco. And I ended up staying with, with my good friend, Sandra uh, Persing. She had, she, well, her last name is different now. She got married. So I apologize, but her new last name, I, I can never seem to pronounce, but Sandra works at Mozilla and she was nice enough to let me stay at her place for a couple of days. And the day I flew out, I was working from the Mozilla offices mm -hmm. and I was sitting there and, and there was some kind of event where you were going, I think it was the first time you did your live code. Like you, you were given something to like 
uh, a layout to do live. Yeah. And I was sitting there and I was like, I think that's Jen Simmons. Is that Jen Simmons? I'm like, oh my God. I was like fangirling really bad because of course I followed you forever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I should say hello. And then I'm like, no, because she's working. She's doing important. <laughs> so I had like this dilemma where I like wanted to say hello, but I didn't want to bother you. And so I ended up just sitting there, um, you know, being very polite and just from, from the side. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so uh, funny because I don't see myself that way at all. I'm just lucky enough to have gotten a chance to do some teaching and so but that no, I understand how that works for other people and and it suddenly seems yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so you should have stopped and said hi I like it when people stop and say hi did do you have anybody yeah, like that oh yeah for sure people who I admire or I'm scared to say hi to or or people in other industries you know who you kind of see from afar and they're just like wow you're such a great writer or wow you're such a great columnist or you know creator of content or whatever kind of stuff and yeah. yeah. Well, then you assume people do that all the time and you don't want to be that just one more of those people that is like, you know, hey, let me bother you in the middle of your day to say hello. And, you know, um, but yeah, so, but, but hey, I get to meet you now. So hello. It's great to meet you. Exactly. Hello. <laughs> hey, Jim, before we jump into some of the subjects, I think it'd be cool. Like, I, I know you probably have told your story a million times, but there's, we, I, I like to also think that we have new listeners or, people coming up in the industry that might not have heard it. And I, I think it's really interesting how you started in theater and went to film school, um, you were teaching, and then you needed to uh, basically- uh, Pay my rent? To, yeah, to pay your rent, <laughs> supplement your income, and you went into web design. Do, do you mind touching on that a little bit? Yeah, so I, um, I think for many of us who started making websites back in the 90s, it was, it was fairly normal for us to be self-taught and for us to be um, like making it up as we went along. There were no classes, there were no schools, there was no code, you know, coding programs. It was simply, you know, not about the web. It was simply like people who had other kinds of careers and then they realized, hey, this web thing looks important. I should try to learn it or I should try to incorporate this in the rest of my job. And so, yeah, I worked in theater. I was a producer for a nonprofit where we made a ton of art events. We do a film, fest- film festivals, music festivals, visual art shows. Um, and I did all the graphic design for us, all the posters and the postcards and the t-shirts and the bumper stickers and the yard signs and the um, monthly magazine. Like I was constantly churning out print design and I had taught myself print. I had had a class, I had taken a I'd had a job for a little while in a shop where I learned all the analog techniques and the old techniques from my bosses, my colleagues, everybody who's way older than me, who taught me the craft of, of printing presses. But I was the one who like really knew how to use a Mac. So like I, I went in the corner and taught myself Photoshop, um, PageMaker and helped them transition to doing more of their work digitally. Um, and then I just, you know, went from there. It was like the nineties. You just were teaching yourself new software constantly. And um, so when the web came along, it was just like another thing I needed to learn. I had taught myself how to do double entry bookkeeping because we needed that. I taught myself how to do this. I taught myself how to set up an Apple talk network because we needed that. Like, so learning to do websites. And so I did websites for a very long time and I had always had some freelance career stuff going on on the side to make a little bit of extra cash. I think everybody who's ever worked as an artist, you get that. It's like a combination of teaching, producing, freelance, you know, production work for other people in order to have enough money to pay the bills in order to kind of also be able to do what you really want to do. Um, And the first website I put up was for a lawsuit that we were involved with. Um, And then more and more and more, like I went to film school, like you said, I was teaching at Temple University and I, um, I just needed more income. And so by the time I got to about 2000, I think it was the beginning of 2010. I had just moved to New York. I couldn't pay my rent. I literally couldn't pay my rent. And I, I knew I had to go get like a full-time job as a front-end developer and kind of drop a lot of this other stuff in order to focus um, and make a better living for myself. Um, so I guess it's just been really nine years that I was full-time only working as a front-end developer. Um, well, well, maybe I did that for about five years and then I, moved into teaching and like presenting because I wanted to and teaching because I wanted to. And that led me to this job that I have at Mozilla and getting involved with the CSS working group and 
um, being more and more involved with inventing new technology and um, yeah, so I don't know. It's like a weird securitist road, but it's also one that's super common. And I think for many of us who've been around for two decades or two and a half decades, it's it's sort of strange that now things are getting more like formal or official or like people are like, oh, so I wanted to change careers. And so I went to a 12-week boot camp and then I applied for a job as a junior web developer. And then that led to a job for a senior web developer. I'm like, I didn't even know what those job titles, I didn't even... I, like those chop tiles didn't even exist when I was trying to learn how to do this stuff. And, and it took me years before I even knew what they meant. And, you know, now everybody seems so like they have it together or there's a path or like, this is how you're supposed to do it. And it's like, is there, Oh, 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 <laughs> it's so funny. I, and I think it's because the, the industry itself has matured and things have gotten more. Um, it's just so much bigger. And it, you know, it used to be step one to making a website was like, convince the company where you work at that they should have a website <laughs> <laughs> buy Some the domain name yourself like and then figure out how to give it to the company right and now it's not like that now it's like oh you're joining a team of 175 people who work for this company and you're like just learning to do the job that they need you to do in the system that is already set up and stuff so. yeah i feel like the wild wild west of the web back in the 90s was so there was so much room to explore so many things because it, it was so open and there wasn't any kind of definitions of what a, a, a web developer or designer or now front end engineer and all the other things, what have you that, that were there. I mean, I, I started myself in the, in the late nineties as well with uh, getting a copy of Dreamweaver going, I'm going to be a web designer. And mm -hmm. I, I bought Dreamweaver at my college store and then I made a card that said I was a web designer and that was that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So funny how that works. Do you ever have the itch? It's so strange how things. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you got it. Go. It's so do, do you ever have that itch to go back and do more of those other, other things like theater or anything like that? Or do you feel like that's uh, kind of, takes place in what you do now because you you kind of I don't want to say perform but you you know you do these you do these videos you, you speak everywhere so it's kind of like I mean you you literally are on stage right right and because I wasn't an actor I never wanted to be an actor I was a electrician a carpenter a queen of fog on one show <laughs> like oh, okay. I was working backstage I was I was working as a technician my first job was as a dresser which means you know helping an actor get in and out of their clothing when they needed to do fast changes backstage and taking care of props and stuff. Um, I, I, but I wanted to be a designer, right? I wanted to do, I, and I did slowly, I became more and more of a lighting designer. Eventually the biggest shows I did were as a projection designer. So doing video projection design, um, which again is like this mix of design and technology and computers and programming our own software in order to be able to do stuff that people hadn't quite done yet. Inventing the medium a bit, um, so in some ways for me, it's, it is very much the same. It is like, it's figuring out content, designing things, writing them and making them and putting them in front of an audience. Um, and yeah, the idea that now I'm the person on stage or now I'm the person in front of a camera is so hilarious to me. I can't believe that that's how things worked out, but I do really enjoy it. Uh, but I think that the, I think there's two big trends that I, that have shaped my decisions that are, maybe not the things that people talk about in the listicles, but I think are actually more important. So one of them is I realized that like when I was in my twenties, especially I would do lots and lots of different things, slightly different things, kind of a jack of all trades. I would just learn all sorts of different things. And I liked that. But over the last years of my career, the t all this time has gone by. It's like, Oh, if I really want to become good, really good, you have to focus. So you can do a whole bunch of things, kind of, or you can start to let a lot of those things go and delegate or work with other people to collaborate more and more and just focus, 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 focus. And you get better and better and better because you're focusing on something. Um, so I ended up focusing a lot on how to write a really good conference talk, for example. And there was no space left to also go launch a projection design career in New York City, right? Like I couldn't, I had to either pick one or the other. Um, yeah. So that's some of it. It's just been like 
a desire to reach the next level and another level and another level has required not doing a bunch of different stuff. And then I think the other thing that I've always wanted, and I don't know why, and I don't think it makes me better. It's just for whatever stupid reason, I've always wanted to just have a really big impact with the work that I make um, and to reach a, a big audience or to really matter. So it's like, it's cool to do something, but when four people come to the show, I've literally done shows where there are four people in the audience. It's just sort of like, yeah. <laughs> and if instead there could be 400,000 people, which I've never reached that many people, but if, there, if, that, if I could ever with something, 400,000 people, that's, so I think that's part of why I've ended up focusing on um, like web and web technology and um, now videos that are published up on YouTube and different kinds of things like that because, um, because of the potential for impact. Or you know, talking about graphic design on the web, I think there's a chance there to really help shape the future of what the web becomes. Um, so that sort of staying focused on something and drive and really trying to get towards impact means I'm not running around um, doing theater or filmmaking, narrative filmmaking, like storytelling filmmaking. But I do miss it. I do think about it. I do feel like, gosh, I should write a short film. I live in New York City. I've got the equipment. I should meet some new people and go make, uh, see, like write a feature film. Maybe I'll make a, maybe I'll make a TV show or maybe like I have the skills. Make something based on this, uh, this subject, you know, on what you do. I mean, I yeah. guess you kind of do that with layout land. And I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be like a whole other, it'd be like a whole other thing. So maybe I'll do that in my, in my next decade is, is sort of switch industries again and go back to film and TV. But um, for now, I'm on the web and making web content. Is that why you don't, um, you don't do the, the podcast anymore? Do, is it no, I just time? got so busy and I really want to do it. I really want to do a podcast again. So one way or another by next year, I'm going to be doing something in the podcast space, but I still don't know yet what that's going to be, whether I'll revive the web ahead or whether I'll um, do something else, but we'll see, hopefully. I'm sure you'll make a lot of people happy if they see that yeah. pop up as a new episode in their podcast i miss it point. i miss doing the web ahead i really yeah i'm so sorry about this dog um my neighbor's don't worry dumb about it. dog is just barking its head off They're quite that all right we embrace life yeah. textures on the show <laughs> we don't mind them I, at knew, all. I knew when this neighbor moved in with her three crazy dogs that sh won't stop that that was going to be a problem <laughs> I, I feel more sorry for you because i'm i bet that's quite annoying often yeah 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 um, oh my goodness so but yeah, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think it's all, you know, it's all about writing for an audience and figuring out what's the best way to communicate, whether that's through using a camera or graphics or slides or jokes, humor, or like, it's just figuring out how do you shape something into a gift for people to experience. Um, so it's just been a long <laughs> career of, of obsessing over that question. Oh sure, yeah, uh, I'd imagine because you 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 produce so much, you put out so such great content, um, and it's it's really making a big impact on the way we do things. Um, I mean, we could talk about uh, your involvement in the some of these um, developer tools that are just you know if we didn't have these these grid tools that people probably weren't thinking about at the time, and, and you're making these things come to fruition. We could talk about what's coming out in five days. So what's today, today's Saturday, yes. September 20th, and on Tuesday, October 1st. So Tuesday, October 1st, 2019, um, we're launching a new channel of videos at Mozilla. Uh, I put together this tiny little team of people who have been making videos. So a lot like Layoutland for folks who know Layoutland, but Layoutland was, um, I was the only person on camera am the only person on camera at least so far and uh it that channel is really focused on graphic design and layout um how do you use css what's possible with graphic design on the web uh but this channel which is going to be called mozilla developer is broader and will cover things like css and how to use new css that's coming out um, but we'll also talk a lot about the dev tools that we that are in firefox that people may or may not even realize are there there's some tools there that i think are pretty powerful that um, that team has built that, you know, the last year that um, people haven't had a chance to know that they're there. So there'll be videos that show people like, hey, there's a thing here. It's cool. You should use it. 
uh, and also getting into stuff like web standards and how do you make a website that works on all the browsers at the same time? And, you know, why should we care about these specifications or the process that uh, folks use in order to invent new web technology? How do we make sure that we protect what's good about that process and not um, have it kind of be bulldozed by some of these massive companies and their agendas or by just neglect or by confusion about what it is? Um, or these ideas around, you know, well, everything should just be JavaScript. We hate HTML and CSS. It's stupid. Like, we're going to, we're going to get into some of these things. Um, you know, like, why, yeah, why is it the way it is? Like, why do we have three programming languages? Why is there not just one? Like, would that be better? Would that be easier? Um, so we're going to be making a lot of different kinds of content about all of those topics. Uh, the beginning of it is this channel that will be on YouTube. Um, there'll be other things coming out as well. Uh, like folks may have seen, because we've been working on it out in the open on GitHub, uh, a project called CSS Remedy that's like a starter kit for CSS that gives people sort of, because the CSS working group and the browsers themselves can only um, change so much. There's certain things you just can't change because it's already shipped a certain way, but maybe it's not necessarily the best. So Remedy is a way to be like, Okay, well, we can't change this about the web, but you could change it for your project. Where is it that you should be starting in 2020? Um, so it's like a starter kit, little starter kit, like a reset um, CSS oh, file. Like Eric Meyer reset, yeah. Yeah, but but those sort of or or like um, what's it called? Uh, oh, I forget the name of it, but there's one normalize, right? Like oh, normalize. But this one's still slightly different than those others. Those sort of Eric's was just Eric Meyer was sort of to like get rid of all of the default styling because his default styling wasn't consistent between browsers decades ago. But now it is consistent between browsers, and most people don't really want to get rid of everything. Um, or or normalize was really about fixing a lot of cross-browser bugs, and there aren't nearly as many anymore. Um, Remedy is a little bit more like if the CSS working group had a time machine and could change the defaults for some properties, what would they have chosen instead? Uh, kind of could, could you give an example, like uh, like a real world example of somebody doing something where they would want to employ this? Um, well, I, my hope is that it will be p potentially useful on every single project ever that you know just makes sense for every WordPress theme, every Drupal theme, every starter, every, you know, new frameworks that get built to just go ahead and start with this um, project at their root, root, root level of the CSS to kind of just jam it right between the UA style sheet and the project itself. Um, so an example of what's in it, I think the easiest one to understand is box sizing border box. Like box sizing should have always been set to border box. Instead, it got shipped at content box. But if browsers immediately switched the default from border box to content, or from content box to border box, they would break millions and millions and millions of websites. Like they would just, one day we would wake up and all those websites would be broken. So you can't, we can't change it. But then like really for the next hundred years, every front end developer has to type star box sizing border box. And if you forget, you end up with this legacy thing that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, so it's those kinds of things. What things are there that are sort of no brainers that you should just definitely always do that you don't really want to have to think about that you wish we could just change permanently, but we can't. Um, and there'll probably also be part of it will be kind of optional stuff where stuff to think about, stuff to consider for your project, stuff that makes sense in say English or other languages that are written with the Latin alphabet, but doesn't make sense for languages that are written in other character sets. So we're not going to put it in the default, but we'll put it in the stuff to consider section um, or typography for Japanese or typography for Chinese. Um, so, so a remedy, it's a tool. Um, it's just yeah. another example of the kinds of projects we're working on. Um, but like I said, we're starting with these videos um, and there'll be seven of them are gonna come out next week. Um, about what, What's uh, the URL for people to go take a look at or subscribe ahead of time? Yeah, so uh, right now it's- <laughs> It's a long stream. Right? Slash channel slash capital U, capital C, little A. <laughs> Well, we'll add the link to that in the show notes, but but it's going to be um, yeah. Mozilla developer uh, yes. starting on Tuesday, right? Yes. Hopefully by the end of the day, if we get enough subscribers, as soon as we get enough subscribers that we, we get access to custom URLs, um, we'll, we'll write a, we'll make a custom URL, youtube.com slash Mozilla developer. Um, all one wow. word. 
Mozilla Developer. I, I, or of course you can just go to YouTube and search for Mozilla Developer, but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll have that within like an hour, so it won't be a problem. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, we'll see. Yeah, it's it's like too bad you can't set it up ahead of time and then you're sure, you know, you'd be like, yes, yeah. put the URL, <laughs> let's put the URL on bumper stickers without knowing that it actually works. Sure. <laughs> Print out 5,000. Yeah. Put it on this signage for a conference, even though it doesn't do anything right now. <laughs> That's I awesome. think it, it, yeah, ping me Wednesday and we'll see if it works. Hopefully it will work by Wednesday. Yeah, I think you need like a minimum of, and I'm probably wrong on this, but it's it's something like as low as 25 people subscribed or something. It was a thousand when I launched Layoutland, which we got the first day, but it took a day. Um, mm. I think it's lower now, but you know, I guess the stage manager in me is like, you should always have a backup plan. And if you don't have a backup plan, then you shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway. Do you mind if we uh, talk about some of the, um, some of these things that you have been creating uh, yeah. that are uh, really amazing, like things like, um, you know, um, like we discussed the, the grid tools, which are amazing. Um, we could talk about subgrid, which uh, I think is something that we could start thinking about using pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. So um, CSS grid, it's interesting to me that there are still many, many people, both developers who write CSS and designers who don't write CSS, but design for a medium where a massive change happens, this massive, massive change happened to layout um, and what's possible that so many people haven't really taken the time to learn anything about it yet. Uh, and some of those people will get on Twitter and kind of argue that there's, it's too soon. There's not enough support in browsers. It's up to like 93% coverage or something. It's been out for two and a half years. So I do think that people should take time and learn CSS grid and learn what's possible now. Um, and the grid inspector tool in Firefox can definitely help. Uh, it makes it much easier to understand when you can actually visually see what's happening. Uh, and then subgrid is going to be shipping in Firefox. I think it's going to ship in Firefox 71, which comes out December 10th of this year, 2019. Just in time for Christmas. But if people want to mess around with it today, which, you know, you can start messing around with it now and learn it is open up Firefox nightly because it's in Firefox nightly right now. Um, and it's the kind of thing, I don't know when it will ship in other browsers in Safari or Chrome or Edge. Uh, I haven't seen any indication that folks are working on it yet. Um, CSS Grid was implemented in all of those browsers by Agalia. Uh, like the Chrome engineers didn't work on it. The engineers at Agalia worked on it. Um, so I don't know if Agalia is working on Subgrid yet or not. Um, they were sponsored by Bloomberg. Financial, because Bloomberg Financial wanted Grid for their big financial data applications to be able to like do stock charts and things using CSS Grid. Um, Grid's really great for those kind of complex applications. Um, and I don't know if Bloomberg needs Subgrid or not. So I, I kind of feel like, oh, the future of Subgrid is like riding on whether or not Wall Street wants access to Subgrid. <laughs> like that's not. <laughs> Let's go, Google. You must have a but you have a bazillion people working over there. Somebody's got to be willing to jump on this and get it done. Uh, so we'll see. So funny. You know, uh, I, this reminds me. We had a uh, a user DM us a question, and they uh, they asked this, and I, I think it's one of the things that I I see sometimes on uh, on articles and people tweeting around is. Um, and I, I don't know what you feel on this, but I'll, I'll ask since somebody asked us to ask it, is okay. when is the right time to, well, let, me, let me read what they wrote. Yeah. When is the right time to use Flexbox and Grid together? Always. <laughs> Did you mind going into like an example yeah. of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is a question that comes up a lot, or also it gets asked as, which one is better, Flexbox or Grid? Yeah. And I always say, my answer is yes. <laughs> um, so I understand, I understand where the question comes from because for really from the beginning of responsive web design, but also before that, but especially maybe a year or two into responsive web design, people were so overwhelmed by trying to make these flexible layouts that change the different breakpoints work by using CSS floats because it's all that anybody had was floats. 
um, people got really, there's so many bugs and there were so many kind of cross-browser incompatibilities with IE6 at the time still that, and the fact that box model was different in different browsers, like that alone was driving us absolutely crazy um, yeah. before box sizing border box got invented. Uh, really we needed, as an industry, we needed these frameworks. You needed to just go get yourself. Today people use Bootstrap, the layout framework that's inside Bootstrap, or they use Foundation, or they use um, Suzy, or there's been others like ZenGrids, or way back in the days, some of the first ones were Yahoo had a UI framework that, this was before Responsive, uh, 960.gs before Responsive as well was one of the first super popular layout frameworks to be like hand coding floats by yourself, you're basically doing the same kind of code over and over and over on every project. You're wasting hundreds of hours debugging really hard to write fragile code. Why? It's just the same every project. Why not just write a framework or write a layout kit and reuse this layout kit, right? So it made sense. Today, we don't need any of that stuff. You can just write CSS grid. You don't need an extra layer to fix the bugginess because the bugginess isn't there anymore. And also, it's actually just faster. We don't, you know, you don't, I mean, I guess some people do, but like most of the time when you're building out a brand, you're, you know, creating the color palette and the typography palette for that particular website from scratch, or you're collaborating on a design system for that website from scratch. You're not going and getting like, I mean, that is what material design and these others have tried to be is like, you should use Google's design system for your custom website. But most people don't do that. Most people, they just make, it's like layout's the same now. Like just write your layout code, make components, make a design system. You know, but like write your layout code the same way you would write your colors or your typography custom for your project. Um, but the, but I think in those days of these layout frameworks, it, what happened is the very first and maybe most important question to ask when you wanted to start working on the layout was which framework should I use? Should I use Foundation or Bootstrap? Should I use Suzy or grid set app should i use 960.gs or this other one that somebody else made that's very similar but slightly different um and once you chose that tool like you stuck with that decision right you didn't change it and in fact you probably used that same tool on a whole bunch of sites for the next couple of years and you probably got everyone at your company if you were a shop a, a development shop that did work for a bunch of different clients you probably use the same framework every single time because why would you bother to learn a different one on every project, right? It makes sense. Um, and I think that people take that kind of thinking into Flexbox versus Grid, where they're like, well, I was writing all of my code using Flexbox. Should I stop doing that? And now I'll write all my code with Grid and never use Flexbox again? Um, I think there's one of the reasons that people also ask that question in that way is because Flexbox is not design, was not designed to do what we've been using Flexbox for. We were using floats to try to f have a layout system when there wasn't a layout system. Um, right. The people who invented CSS actually thought absolute positioning would be our entire layout system, but it doesn't work. So we were sort of stuck with no way to do layout, and we figured out how to hack floats and use floats instead. But then there's all these problems with floats. So when Flexbox came along, we were like, well, let's do basically a very similar set of hacks, but we'll just use Flexbox instead of floats and it will be slightly better. Like we'll, we'll have a few things like columns. We can make columns stretch out to be the same height as each other. Like that was an improvement. We got vertical centering. That was an improvement, but that's not what Flexbox was designed for. Some of like having a bunch of Flexbox boxes next to each other in rows where we set the widths on them. Like we've put widths, we said, you're gonna be 25% wide, you Flexbox container. Um, and then we would, a lot like floats, we would sort of float these boxes, these like stick yeah. these Flexbox boxes next to each other. And then we would change the number of them at different breakpoints by changing the hard-coded widths on them. Even if the widths were like percents and not pixels, they were still kind of like, us telling Flexbox how big to be. Um, that's not what Flexbox is for. The whole point of Flexbox is to have flexible boxes <laughs> where the content- the name? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where the content just determines what size things are. So for example, if you think about a navigation menu and you lay that out with all the like links in a navigation menu, if you lay that out using Flexbox, the whole idea is that those boxes can be bigger or smaller depending on how many words are in each link right the link that's 
like about is going to be a certain length and the link that is read our documentation, which is a terrible link, but if it was, that's a longer link, right? And so that those two particular boxes would be different sizes and Flexbox would give you a bunch of ways to kind of define what happens with the extra space or when does it wrap and what do you want to have happen? And you could do that in either the vertical or the horizontal direction. I think the moment you start putting widths on flex items, you shouldn't be using Flexbox. You actually should be using Grid. Now, it's fine that we did that 2012, 2013, 2014, because we had no choice. Um, but by the time Grid shipped in 2017, and now that we're in 2019, it's about to be 2020, like, we should stop using Flexbox like that. So, st that's, so number one, stop using Flexbox to pretend that it's Grid. <laughs> But Flexbox is really good at doing what Flexbox wants to do in the world. There's a reason that tool got invented. So we should definitely use that tool to do what it wants to do. Um, and then you, you use them both. So you use them both. Um, the other two things that we're using are multi-column. We should be using multi-column. It's another option for layout. And flow. Flow is what happens if you do nothing. Flow is just like every single box on the entire page has some kind of layout context attached to it. And if you don't switch the layout context to be Flexbox or Grid or Multicolumn, then it is flow. It's just things go one after another. And basically what you're doing with layout is on each box in the DOM, of which there are usually hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of them, you're determining what the layout context could be. So maybe on this navigation, you've got an unordered list and you wanna make that unordered list be a flex container. And then all those list items are flex items. And then over here, you've got like all of these cards and the cards themselves are also laid out with Flexbox because you just want a way to like distribute extra space in one dimension. But the group of cards is laid out using grid. So you have like Flexbox contexts that are nested inside of grid contexts that are nested inside of a flow context, which is next to a Flexbox context, which is laid out the whole page with a grid, which is then all the whole thing is flow. So you've got these like nested dolls and each one of those dolls could be grid or Flexbox or multicolor or flow. Um, so it's hard to explain an audio podcast, but uh, <laughs> I feel like when people kind of, that's the first thing to understand is that, you're, you're making decisions at each level of the DOM, each in, inside each box, inside each, at each, at every element, at any one of those elements, you can switch the context and you understand what each tool does. And then you can like custom grab whatever you need and let go of this whole way that we used to do layouts with, whether it was 960GS all the way up to Bootstrap, those, all of those tools basically use, work the same way. Like just let all of that go, ignore all of it. Stop thinking that way, which is hard, but stop. Um, and learn the new tools. And it's actually so much easier, so much simpler than any of that old stuff ever was. Uh, so it's a very long answer to a very simple question, but. Um, no, it's a good answer. That was, yeah, that was great. It reminds me a lot of, I mean, cause I also started in the nineties <laughs> and started in graphic design and animation and started when everything was done in tables before CSS. Yeah. Um, even existed. And it, just talking about all of this has really brought to mind, you know, in the beginning of the web in the 90s, when you were doing everything and you had to, you kind of just had to figure it out, there was an excitement about it and kind of this feeling like you were you were doing something that had never been done before. And, and yes. I can remember exploring like this horse. I, I made this portfolio for myself, which um, dear God, just thinking about it now, but it, it scrolled horizontally and it was this kind of like a timeline went, that went through. And of course I ended up mixing that because it just kind of went, that's when really user, the user experience and understanding what people expected to encounter on the web. And, and it kind of, it started to take what I, what I felt for like, Oh, this exploration and this excitement of, of kind of graphic design in the web into this kind of, well, this isn't what a user would expect. So I have to kind of lower my expectations of what I can really do and expect users to interact with and understand and not get frustrated. And I kind of wonder where we are as an industry in that place right now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my day-to-day -day is as a, as a user experience designer and doing research 
And I do find myself in this kind of very rigid box of this is what a user would expect. And even when we're doing testing, trying to kind of push those boundaries and just coming back to the realization that that's not comfortable for a lot of mm -hmm. day-to-day users for the type of sites I'm working on. Mm -hmm. um, this is all kind of roundabout like thought, like how do you, do you see that excitement coming back and, and us kind of getting to a place where that that's possible again, maybe with these new tools? I hope so. Outside of these boundaries? I want to. Yeah. I mean, I do, I see it from individual people when I present at conferences or talk about that kind of exactly that arc you're talking about. Like we used to be excited. We used to be really inventive. We used to be super creative. Where did that go? People are like, oh yeah. And they get all excited. They want to go back to work the next week and kind of do something great. Um, but then I look at what's shipping and I'm like, oh, I don't see it yet. I don't see any kind of movement towards creativity or movement towards truly expressing a brand or really embracing what's possible. Um, and I do hear people express what you just expressed, which is, you know, well, how, if I don't use the bootstrap layout, right? So I, I think we are, especially around by the time we got to 2016 the amount of creativity like the level of creativity has been at its absolute lowest when it comes to graphic design on the web like everybody's using open or was i think it's changed a little a little bit but like everybody was using the same two or three fonts and they were using the exact same layout at basically the yeah. exact same breakpoints like you're gonna have a big hero graphic and you're gonna have some text in a in some sort of probably source sans or open sans one of those google fonts that's like <laughs> yeah. a knockoff of you know futura and then you're gonna have underneath it you're gonna have a big headline that's centered with a white background and then underneath that you're gonna have three pictures that are each one third of the space and underneath each of those you're gonna have a headline and then underneath those you're gonna have like a horizontal line and then you're gonna have three round icons <laughs> i think you're, you're describing every website like 80 percent i feel of attacked or more i feel attacked <laughs> right now jen i feel attacked <laughs> but the thing so you know people will say well if, if we deviate from that at all users will be completely confused and have no idea how to use anything and i'm like well then how do people read magazines if the only yeah. layout they are capable of understanding is that layout then why do they go to the newsstand at the airport and pick up a magazine and know how to open the magazine and read the articles, right? Like, so magazines already have a layout that's far more interesting and inventive and very has more variation than that specific graphic design layout from the web. I don't think the reason we did that layout is because it proved itself to be the best for user experience. I think the reason we did that layout is because it was really hard to code different layouts for different size screens using floats yeah. and teams got really sick of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on QAing bugs when there was all this all these bugs across browsers especially with ie6 and the box model not working properly and spending all these hours and hours like writing css that was buggy and hard to write because all we had was floats like i get that so what did we do we just whipped out bootstrap and we just started you know, it's like, I don't know, like we had the, we had some kind of crazy Renaissance painting era. And then we realized that actually it's just faster to pull something off the shelf at Target and some paint by number kit and just like fill in the boxes and paint by number. And so it's just been all paint by numbers for a while. And people are like, well, but paint by number is more efficient and paint by numbers more. It's like, well, sure. But if every article out there looks like it's been published on Medium, how, how are you establishing a brand? How are you establishing that? your content actually comes from a bunch of professional journalists who worked for weeks and weeks on this piece and you really want people to believe the authority and the care and the craft that went into writing this really important piece of journalism when it's just like it's set in open type open sands and it looks like every other random you know crap website on the internet like you should know it should look like you know, it should look that you see companies like the New York Times or the Atlantic or the New Yorker putting a lot of time and attention into their typography and into their layouts because they want to express their editorial voice, right? Like this is not new. This it it might be new to the web. We have to like reinvent it on the web, but it's not new to graphic design or to understanding what a brand is or understanding what voice and tone is or understanding how to use typography or color or I also think, you know, we have these weird things where like Apple has been so successful. Everybody wants to copy Apple. Apple made everything, you know, 
uh, sans serif fonts. We must use only sans serif fonts. Apple's making put everything on white backgrounds, so we must put everything on white backgrounds. Apple made everything into colored gradients with candy colors up until just now. If you notice, they just shipped a bunch of stuff. They totally changed their color palette. But basically for a little while, the last year, everybody's been like candy colored palettes. Um, Half the time, I can't even tell what website I'm on because everyone's using that exact same illustration style with that exact same set of colors in their illustrations. Yeah. I just want Apple to stop centering paragraphs because then now like I see centered paragraphs everywhere. And I just, I, I actually had to have a conversation with another designer about it and like, well, it's really subjective. And I'm like, no, this is not a subjective thing. And, and going into to the use, the actual readability of, of, of lines of text and, and, and it just was so disheartening <laughs> just because they saw it on Apple or they see, you know, they, as soon as it's on a big brand's website, well, that must be good design. And there's, there seems to be a complete lack of questioning of, of whether it really is or not. You know, I also think there's probably something to the fact that all of a sudden in the history of, you know, the arc of human communication, we need more people to design for content than we've ever needed ever. And we've taken like bazillions of people who used to work in other industries or who would have worked in a different industry, but if it weren't for what happened, are all now, everybody's a user experience designer, a graphic designer for the web, a, a coder, a front end developer, whatever name, full stack developer, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and that's a cool, that's cool. That's really cool. But it means that there, it feels to me like there was just this onslaught of new people and there's all desperation around needing to get to work really fast and get stuff shipped and like get the tickets cleared. We have the sprint. You got to get all the 14 tickets done by yep. the end of the sprint. And so there's not been a lot of time to be, to learn or to be expressive or to explore. Everybody wants statistics. I want, I want data that you that proves that this decision we're making is the exact right decision. And, and I don't trust you if you don't have any data. If you don't have data, then you don't know anything. And like there's this weird emphasis on efficiency and this idea that like, well, that's better data science. That's better user experience design. That's better, um, we'll just copy them. Well, Amazon did it this way, so we'll copy this way. Like there was one year where I worked on three completely separate projects and I basically built Facebook on every one of them. They were like, look, our designers spent six weeks yeah. coming up with our unique design and they'd ship me like the Facebook layout with green instead of blue as the main color. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I would, and there'd be a PDF and I'd be like, what are the details in this PDF? How's this supposed to work? And they would just email me back and be like, I don't know, just open Facebook and do it the way they did it. <laughs> it's like, I wonder though if that is simply like a reality that we just needed to get you know, an extra 300,000 people get working immediately and, and, and folks will learn over time. People will want to grow. People will want to explore. And I wonder if we've seen this before where certain trends are so dominant. And then five years later, you see anything that was made during that trend and you're like, Oh, that's so five years ago. That's so awful. <laughs> look at that parallax <laughs> website. Yeah. I think there's a good chance. We'll look back on the bootstrap websites covered in open sands with centered paragraphs and be like, Oh, that's so 2016. <laughs> Thank God we don't do that anymore. Look, we use color. We have blue and our we have a blue background on this website and a yellow background on this website. I wonder how much <laughs> of that is influenced by um, things that you know you need to get that MVP out or right. you know C level where they're yeah. like, well, you know, look at these guys. They've done it this way. Why reinvent the wheel? I, I've heard that argument uh, more times than I'd like to recall. Yep. And it, it, it's so interesting because we, like you said, we had a uh, renaissance or even a Baroque period, if you will, with uh, when Flash was uh, very big. Like we would do all these kinds of creative, amazing things. And yeah. We can't go back to that. But I think one of the things that we can do, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, that you advocate is we can do graphic design on the web now. Yeah. We can um, have these kind of um, Swiss... Uh, inspired designs, graphic designs, where we, we possibly couldn't have with, with floats or maintain yeah. floats or, or a framework, foundation, what have you. But it's there. a lot of this stuff is possible now if yeah. you can manage to sell uh, your company the idea of putting the time into design. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hold on one second. No worries. 
We're having a side conversation for our audio listeners. Then we'll be right back. But it's very interesting that we keep having this conversation with our internal teams. Uh, and I'm sure you probably have that same experience, Sarah, where, um, you know, you, you, ha- you, ca- you have these things where uh, people talk about like, you know, this needs to be shipped out within X yeah. amount of time. We have this many sprints allocated for design or accessibility, but there could be so much more if we think about these things ahead of time and um, provide details in the scope before it's sold as a, um, you know, this is when it's shipping out in February or what have you, but, you know, uh, maybe design needs to assert itself better within the initial part of a project to communicate all the new things that we can do. Yeah. I think I, for me, I think one of the gaps right now is that designers simply don't know what's possible and too many designers are. Yes. That's fair. I don't know. Like someone has told them you're supposed to do the layout the way that bootstrap does and they believed it and they haven't gotten strong enough yet or senior enough yet in their own thinking to question that. So they're just like, well, I was told you're supposed to have one column for mobile and three columns for desktop or for tablet and you know, 12 columns for desktop. And so uh, that's what I did. And you like, everything's symmetrical and everything's, you know, which to me is surprising in a way because it's some of those folks are the same people who go through art school or go through some sort of program where they're enamored with 20th century Western graphic design out of Europe and the United States. And they're just like, yeah. oh, I worship at the feet of whatever Paul <laughs> Rand or somebody. And then they come into to like, and then they're like, but we have to do bootstrap. And you're like, wait, <laughs> You could make your, you know, okay, so have three icons in your like product page, but you could make them like asymmetrically staggered. <laughs> like, like yeah. you could just, you could put more space on the left than you do on the right. Like you could, oh, you could just sort of put it off centered. You could, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily massive changes going back to say the days of flash or um, table-based layouts where we were doing kind of mystery meat navigation where like it was a puzzle there was a splash page you like landed on an experience and you had no idea what was happening and there was no why would you put a menu no menus like we'll just put like a picture of a lamp and a picture of a couch and a picture of a rug and you have to like guess it's like a children's game you guess what I love the- that. you gotta pull the lamp thing and it right. opens up and there's a menu yeah yeah that yeah Right. So we learned that like, oh, making it too much of a mystery is a bad idea. We should probably have a nav bar. Okay, cool. Have a nav bar. But like you could make the nav bar be a different layout or you could have a normal nav bar, but you could just like put it on the side of the page or towards the bottom or halfway down the page instead of always putting it at the top. Or you could put it like at the top, but you could put it on the other side of the page. Like some of the differences would be so subtle There, people... We don't have to make it confusing, right? That's what I'm trying to say. I, I think sometimes people have trepidation about yeah. uh, about their job security, where they might go, you know what, I need to get this shipped out, and yeah. I, I didn't get any kind of like way to provide time to have a creative vision. Uh, I, I know I've been in positions in, way in the past where something was handed to me and said, yeah. uh, you have a month, go. Yeah. Uh, I got a month? Okay, foundation. Let's go, Zerb. You know, or uh, if you present something that's a little bit more novel to, say, your development team, if you are not the actual person putting it together, if you're uh, simply a graphic designer, you say, hey, here's my designs. Can you guys build this? And they might say, no, no, we can't. Sorry. Do it like this. Right. Um, So there, there could there's there's challenges everywhere. I also think that this is not unique to us and it's not unique to this time. So, you know, if you look at, I don't know, music, rock music in the 60s, 70s was amazing in the 80s, super creative. And then, you know, there's these periods where things are more manufactured or more wrote, more like people use the formulas to build things and they build them faster and they're just looking at money or clicks or hits or or car design, you know, like why is car design gone through these times when at moments it was super creative and interesting and other times it's really just like, what's going to make this, what's going to get us the most profit? What's going to sell the most cars? Um, We don't really like there's or fashion clothing or I go into a bookstore nearby all the time and 
and look at the books on the, um, just like look at the book covers that are in the front of the store. And I try to go in every week so that over a course of many, many months, I have a sense of trends in book cover design. And Interesting. there was a little while where everyone used the same two or three fonts. They all were some sort of version of, you know, a, a cleaned up version of Futura basically. So they were like Gotham or they probably weren't like open sans, but they were those kinds of fonts they were using. They were centered. Um, the font was always white. The background was always like blocks of color, like a solid blue cover, sometimes a little bit of illustration, but usually very, very simple. Like every single book, every, fiction, nonfiction, politics, romance, like about the science, like just all the books were the same for about a year, year and a half. And it was weird. I was like, what is going on? And then I started to see a lot of variation come back like in the last year that I go in and I almost never see those fonts. I almost always see some sort of really interesting custom fonts. And now it's more like a lot of incredibly complicated illustrations where they're like overlapping the fonts. They're sort of interweaving where sometimes the illustration is on top of the font and in other moments the font is on top of the illustration. And it's kind of like, um, so I think there's, you know, there's trends like that. And I think that um, there's really good reasons why everybody reached for bootstrap for a while. And there's really good reasons why everybody's like, feeling like, gosh, I just need to go to work and make my bosses happy. I, I only have a short amount of time. I'm going to do the thing that's going to be easier because I'm too overwhelmed to do anything else. There's so much to do. But I think as we get a little more mature and folks who are newer get more and more experience, I think we're all going to be really super bored of that and be like, we really want our project to stand out where the boss or the client is like, you know, all of our competition, I mean, all the websites look the same. We want our website to really articulate what it is that we're offering people. Um, it doesn't have to take longer. And in fact, where does the time that we need come from? The fact that you can code a layout in grid really, really quickly. <laughs> Once you learn grid, you can code four different really interesting creative layouts in five hours, in half a day, and then show them to people. And if they hate them, okay, whatever. I spent half a day trying some ideas out. We'll go back to the, the classic layout. Um, or maybe something will hit and they'll be like, you know, oh, this, this little piece of this thing, I do like that. Let's, let's not do our marketing graphics centered on the page. Let's do a little bit of a asymmetrical layout where things overlap each other. Ooh, overlap, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice too because Grid will even help you out with some of those things where you, you don't have to write the same amount of media queries as, as you used to. Oh, yeah. Stuff is taken care of. No, there's so many times these experiments that I've been doing where like it takes me like 45 minutes to code the layout. It takes a half an hour. It takes like you you mentioned before, I'm going to do this again next week on Monday. I'm going to be at Artifact Conf and the all live on stage. Yeah. Um, someone is going to hand me a photo out of a book, a graphic design book, where I have a whole bunch of them in my studio, like just a random a picture of an example from print design where they've typed up that content and, and put it into HTML. So I have an HTML document to start with. Um, and they'll also pull the fonts for me and hook them up and a couple other, like the, the big things that can take 10, 15 minutes to, to do, those yeah. are done. And then I just like code the entire layout. I'll have about 45 minutes. I'll try to get the whole thing done while I'm as, get as far as I can. Uh, on oh, that's so cool off the top of my head, right? Like it's not, these don't, things, don't, these things, if, I mean, I, if, if it took two or three weeks to code an, an interesting layout, I don't think I could justify that. But when it takes two or three hours, when you can, yeah. when you can implement a completely custom layout from scratch in a tiny fraction of the time that it used to take to implement a bootstrap layout, um, well, why not, you know, why not? Exactly. The, the technology is there. It's so amazing. Well, hey, Jen, we're, we're at the end of the show. Um, I want to ask you two final questions, if, if you don't mind. Um, first off, what's the best way people could find out more about you and what you do? What, what URLs can they go to? And we'll, we'll obviously provide links to those in the show notes. I'm active on Twitter. So you can go to twitter.com slash Jen Simmons. Uh, find me Jen Simmons on Twitter. I also have a I guess now my personal website is simply a placeholder page, which is so sad. I need to actually build a real website there again. But jensimmons.com is my website. Um, and there are links to conference talks and such there. Um, I have a, that 
the page of experiments that I have. If people want to see what's possible or dig into the code, go to labs.jensimmons.com and all the experiments from all the conference talks I've given over the, and all the videos I've made over the last five years are all on that page. And a lot of them have links to CodePen, so it's like super easy to check it out and see what the code is. Um, and Layout Land on YouTube, search for Layout Land. All of like, there's just tons of videos about um, how to do this stuff because I think it's important to understand how we can theorize about, oh, it's easy, but like, is it? <laughs> I want to see, show me exactly what I need to know and what I need to do. Uh, that's what Layout Land is all about. Um, I haven't published any videos there in a while, but I'll, I will be able to very, very, very soon. Um, oh, and then look for this new channel, look for Mozilla Developer on YouTube as well. Um, there'll be new videos coming up from me and from Miriam, Suzanne, and from Deja Hodge um, with the team from Layoutland, Ryan Hudson, shooter editor, and Jay Deadman, producer. Um, the five of us have been working on these videos for a couple months, and uh, they'll be coming out. You can subscribe to both YouTube channels and uh, follow on Twitter and all those good things to see more as things come out. Nice. And the last thing we like to ask people is if you have any kind of final words of wisdom or anything that you'd, you really want people to look at and, and think about uh, that are in the industry now, things that they might not know, anything, the final words that you'd like to bestow to everyone? You know, I think one of the things people struggle with the most is feeling insecure, feeling like they're not sure if they're qualified or not, or if they're doing it right or not, or, you know, I think over the last couple of years, it's become clearer and clearer how lots of times what's happening in the tech industry are things that are pretty unethical. And then there's people at work who are like pushing things that you're sort of down deep. You're like, oh, I'm not really sure I'm on board for this. I'm not really sure I'm into this. I'm not quite sure I know what I'm doing. I'm not quite sure how to do this thing. I'm not, maybe I'm not really a good friend and developer because I can't remember that CSS off the top of my head. Uh, I just feel like my answer to all of those quandaries is, is to just really listen to your gut more and realize that like all of us look stuff up and all of us should be asking harder questions about, you know, do we really believe in what we're doing every day when we go to work? Can you speak up in a meeting? Should you speak up in a meeting? Should you take, take the risk to be gutsy enough to tell your boss or your client or whatever, something that you're afraid that maybe they don't want to hear, but, um, many of us are making a, a, a pretty good living and I feel like it's our, it's kind of our duty to go ahead and take those risks and to speak up, whether it's, Hey, I think we should try out this asymmetrical layout or whether it's, Hey, I think we need to be more careful about this data we're collecting and collect a little bit less and be much more rigorous about how we're storing it because um, we're invading people's privacy if we're not being careful. Like there's just, we need to speak up. We need to be brave. We need to believe in ourselves. We need to, you know, I couldn't remember the CSS for italics and capitalization forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I had to look up font weight and text decoration over and over and over and over again. So it's just, it's normal. Like none of us know what we're doing. We're all trying to figure it out. Um, uh, well said, we're, we're all just people trying to make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, hey, Jen, thank you so much for being on the show and spending some time with us on a Saturday. Yeah. Can't, can't tell you enough how much we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me and letting me reschedule like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. No Again, uh, it's great that you were able to come and uh, we got that cool exclusive about. Uh, yes. And... It's the first time I've talked about publicly. People leave comments, leave comments on the YouTube videos. Um, it's a great way to like talk to us and tell us what else you wish we could do. What other kinds of videos you want? What other kinds of information you want? Yeah. Get, get the collaboration going. Yeah. All right. Well, that being said, thank you everyone for watching. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. for consuming the thunder nerds we honestly and sincerely appreciate you watching and or listening to the show please subscribe on youtube and itunes write us a review kick a few stars our way and above all else please remember to send your favorite book suggestions to brian hinton i, I like romance novels they have happy endings
I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about?